Welcome. You're listening to the Gideon Warrior Radio Network. Look for us on TalkShoe.com. Type in keyword Gideon Warrior Network. And you can find us and other Israelite speakers on ChristianAmericanMinistries.com and AngloIsraelTruth.com. Please remember your free will gifts and offerings help us to continue laboring in the vineyard. Please consider visiting our support page or email us at GideonElite at ProtonMail.com. And now the message. The title of this message is King David's Moabite Great-Grandmother. There seems to be a lot of confusion about Ruth's place in the royal line of David. To begin with, one must read Deuteronomy chapter 2 and chapter 3, which relates the landmass that we're speaking of at the time of Ruth. And it can also be found in Judges chapter 11, 12 to 26. I'm not going to go there. You can go there on your own because it would take quite a bit of time to go ahead and read that particular portion of the scripture. But let's suffice it to pinpoint uh, some of the highlights of it. At Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 24 to 36, you'll find the conquest that begins this land. Verse 24 says, Rise ye up, take your journey, pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given unto thine hand Sihon, the king of the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land begin to possess it, and contend with him in battle. This day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of thee, and shall tremble, and shall be in anguish because of thee. 26. And I sent messengers out of the wilderness of Kedemoth unto Sihon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through thy land. I will go along by the byway. I will neither turn unto the right hand nor to the left. Thou shalt sell me meat for money, that I may eat. Give me water for money, that I may drink. Only I will pass through on my feet. As the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, on the mount of the Boabites, which dwell in Ar, did unto me, until I shall pass over Jordan into the land which the Lord our God gives us. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass by him. For the Lord thy God hardened his spirit, and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into thy hand as it appears this day and the Lord said unto me behold I have begun to give Sihon and his land before thee begin to possess that thou mayest inherit his land then Sihon came out against us he and all his people to fight at Jahaz and the Lord our God delivered him before us and we smote him and his sons and all his people and we took all his cities at that time, and utterly destroyed the men and the women and the little ones of every city. We left none to remain. Only the cattle we took for a prey unto ourselves, and the spoil of the cities which we took. From Aror, which is by the brink of the river Arnon, and from the city that is by the river, even unto Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all unto us. Only unto the land of the children of Ammon thou came not nor unto any place of the river Jabbok, nor unto the cities in the mountains, nor unto whatsoever the Lord our God forbade us. End quote. I think there's a couple reasons why there's confusion on this. First thing is, it's not readily understood the location of Moab. This route of the Israelites along Moab and Edom and the river Arnon onto King Sihon, king of Amorites, who controlled that area. Um, this is not 
very well understood. Even though there's a lot of commentaries, there's a lot of information that's available to us, it still is slightly polluted. And I think we'll reveal some of that as we go along. So the land was seized from Moab by Sihon, which a history, a biblical history also reflects. And it was then uh, became Sihon's land and then obviously into the hands of the Israelites by this conquest recorded here in Deuteronomy. And that Moabite name remained under that control. At Deuteronomy chapter 3 then, verses 1 to 17, we'll find the recounting of the Israelites' conquer of Og. Let's go there, Deuteronomy chapter 3. Then we turned and went up the way to Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people to battle at Idrei. And the Lord said unto me, Fear him not, for I will deliver him and all his people and his land into thine hand. And thou shalt do unto him as thou did unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, which dwelt at Heshbon. So the Lord our God delivered into our hands Og, also the king of Bashan, and all his people. And we smote him until there was none left to him remaining. And we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city which we took not from them. Threescore cities and the region of Argol, the kingdom of Og in Bashan. All these cities were fenced with high walls, gates, and bars, besides unwalled towns, a great many. And we utterly destroyed them, as we did unto Sion, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. But all the cattle and the spoil of the cities we took for a prey to ourselves. And we took, at that time, out of the hand of the two kings of the Amorites, the land that was on this side, Jordan, from the river Arnon unto Mount Hermon, which Hermon, the Sidonians, call Sirion, and the Amorites call it Shiner, and the cities of the plain, all Gilead, and Bashan unto Sishath, and Idrei, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rabath at the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it, after the cubit of a man. And this land which we possessed at that time from Aror, which is by the river Arnon, and half Mount Gilead, and the cities thereof, gave I unto the Reubenites and to the Gadites. And the rest of Gilead and all Bashan, being the kingdom of Og, gave I unto the half-tribe of Manasseh, all the region of Argol, with all Bashan, which was called the land of the giants. Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the country of Argol unto the coasts of Geshuri and Maacathai, and called them after his own name, Bashan Havoth Jair, unto this day. And I gave Gilead unto Mechur, and unto the Reubenites, and unto the Gadites I gave from Gilead even unto the river Arnon, half the valley and the border even unto the river Chabok, which is the border of the children of Ammon. The plain also, and Jordan, and the coast thereof, from Shinareth, even unto the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, under Ashdoth Pisgah, eastward." End quote. So there you have it. You have the two references in Deuteronomy chapter 2, 24 to 36, and Deuteronomy chapter 3, 1 to 17, of the land which is under the control. So the Israelites conquered Og from King Bashan. 
and that territory is east of Galilean Sea and the northeast portion of the Jordan Valley. The Israelites then possessed a territory with a southern border being the river Arnon to Mount Hermon at the north. Israel thus occupied the northern part of the original Moab territory or north of Arnon. That again is referred to there at Deuteronomy 2.34. We are told at Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 34 that no Moabites were left in the land. Now south of Arnon remained Moabites and Edomites and Moses was instructed that he would not be given that land. The land east of the Jordan Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh desired it for the fertility, as you recall from the scripture. And they were allowed to settle it upon seeing their brethren on. That's recorded at Numbers 32. And there's something interesting to me in Numbers chapter 32 in that story regarding the request of Reuben to, and Gad, I guess, to remain east of the Jordan. It appears that Reuben, having lost the birthright of the eldest made a move on this choice area of land, either to position himself in a good choice land or possibly, in a sense, to manipulate Moses to giving Reuben status of a birthright in his ability to select the land, if you will, in essence requiring Moses, therefore, to honor him with a firstborn gift, if you will. And I support my belief of this in some respects when Reuben conveys that he will precede Israel into the land west of Jordan as as if he was leading them into their destination. But we know that God has actually chosen Joshua to lead them. So after the land of Canaan is subdued and taken in possession, Joshua 22, 1-10 shows us that he commends their faithfulness to their promise and agreement with Moses. Further, he tells them to go on their way back across the Jordan, and he warns them to be careful to keep the commandments, to love the Lord God, and then he blessed them. But then something happens, I believe, that we fail to recognize all too often. What this was, was Reuben taking a decision to stay on this land uh, east of the Jordan when God had already told the entire Israelite nation as it came out of Egypt that he was going to deliver them into the land of Canaan. And this created a division. And this division did have a disastrous outcome. I'd like to just quickly read that to you at First Chronicles 5, 25 and 6. And they transgressed against the God of their fathers and went a-whoring after the gods of the people of the land whom God destroyed before them. And the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, and the spirit of Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. And he carried them away even the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and brought them unto Halah, and Habor, and Harah, and to the river Gozan unto this day. End quote. What I found interesting about this, as you think about it, this division had such a disastrous outcome. The exact span of time to this point, as I understand from Scripture, was Roughly, Reuben, Gad, and, and Manasseh were in this region of land for roughly three centuries. And the scripture tells us they were unfaithful and prostituted themselves to the gods of the people of the land, which God had formerly driven out. And you fast forward from here to the time of Christ, and Jesus at Matthew eight twenty-eight to 34 goes into the land of the Gadarenes, it says. Some translations use Gerasenes. 
Some use Gadarenes. I think what it is is the city it was Gadarenes and the region was Gerasenes. But nonetheless, it is believed that they are from the descendants of Gad. These people are, by virtue of the story, raising pigs, an unclean animal to the Israelites. But these Israelites have been corrupted by the former inhabitants of the land. And the scripture says that Christ sends the demon spirit represented in the man into the very swine of their livelihood. And they come to Jesus desiring that he leave. And they rejected God's promised land in the beginning. They rejected his commands. They prostituted themselves with the gods of the land. And then rejected the Messiah standing right there in front of them in favor of their commercial enterprise of their swine. So that's just for free. All right, so the gist of the whole thing is that that land continued unaltered under Israelite control, and Moses enunciates more than a half a dozen times in the biblical record as to why the command of God was such concerning this land. One of the examples would be Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4, and I quote, For the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out from before thee, end quote. The possession of this eastern land continued in the hands predominantly of the tribes of Reuben, Dan, and Manasseh for roughly 300 years. And Jephthah confirms this span of time and also does it before Ammon at Judges 11, 12-26, specifically verse 26. This is where Moses viewed Canaan, this territory that they were in. Mount Nebo is in the area, in the side of Jericho and by the Jordan River. And the balance of the tribes of Israel had taken possession of the land immediately to the west of the Jordan. And also, the land remained known by that ancient land mass name Canaan. Hence, the Israelites were sometimes referred to by the geographical location. And we can see an example and a confirmation of this Second Samuel chapter 23. I don't think it's necessary for us to go there specifically, but I do want to bring your attention to it because it's a very good example of how these individuals were referred to by their location. So, for example, we might say, uh, you know, one of our brethren is from Texas, and so we would say our brother from Texas, or we would say our brother from Massachusetts. And we would refer to it in in that it'll be a geographical reference to our brother. It doesn't mean that our brother is now changed his nationality. His nationality would still be American. Similarly, the Israelites were still Israelites. All right, now is what we have is after the leadership of Joshua, famine grips the land of Canaan. In chapter 1, verses 1 to 2 of Ruth, we find an indication that Elimelech, of the Pharaoh's Judah line, his wife and sons crossed the Jordan into the country of Moab. It's very important that we see this as being the country of Moab. And this territory is what you recall is occupied by Reuben, Gad, and Ephraim, or Moab, north of the river Arnon, not south of Arnon, as the biblical record does not convey their travels any further. And again, we read Deuteronomy chapter 3, Verses 12 to 16 is where that's recorded. Now, one can readily also see and reasonably confirm that this was so when one considers the Moabites as enemies of Israel. 
Ask yourself a question. Would the Moabites readily receive Israelites into racially Moabite territory and provide for them while the conditions of famine persisted on the other side of the Jordan? Or would they most likely have taken advantage of the situation and chose to try to crush them in the battle under the circumstances of the famine? I think the answer to that's obvious, that they would have opted for the latter and attempted to crush Israel and taken advantage of them. Now, to give you a sense of how sure we can be about this, let's just quick flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 8, and we're going to begin with verses 1 and 2. And after this, it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them, and David took Methegamah out of the hand of the Philistines, and he smote Moab, and measured them with a line, casting them down to the ground, even with two lines measured he to put to death, and with one full line to keep alive. And so the Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts. End quote. So we can be reasonably assured, once again, these cannot be the same people. They are a racially different people, the Moabites, than those of Israel living in an ancient Moabite country or territory. Now, it was this territory with their Israelite brethren, when Naomi lost her husband, her two sons married Orpah and Ruth, not from Moabite racial stock, but Israelite kinsmen from Moabite country, north of Arnon, east of Jordan. Numbers 25.3 is a specific prohibition against Israelite women in marriage or conjugal unions with racial Moabites. Also, at Deuteronomy 23.3, we are told that a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord unto the tenth generation forever. End quote. Now, remember, these Moabites, as the Amorites, are of the children of Lot. These two scripture references that I gave you, Numbers 25.3, that prohibition against marriage with Moabites, and the Deuteronomy 23.3, Scripture with reference to not entering into the congregation of the Lord until the tenth generation forever. That's a very, very important scripture that we need to keep and bear in mind. It is the law, the commandment of God. So for ten years, Naomi is in this territory before returning across the Jordan to her Israelite brethren in the territory of Canaan under Israelite control there. More specifically, Bethlehem, Judah. And she's trying to discourage Ruth and Orpha's uh, travel with her. And she asked them if they would tarry till her future children are grown and subsequently given to them in marriage. But we'll find that at uh, Ruth chapter 1 verse 13. But Naomi is going back to her Israelite brethren on the west side of Jordan, her kin, to take a husband. And she's admonishing Ruth and Orpah, you know, to stay here with their brethren here, and do the same. Another law of God, another command of his, comes into place regarding the Israelite law and instruction, which dictates that a wife of a dead husband is not to marry without the kinship, because the kinship and inheritance is to provide the future sustenance by that right of inheritance. Let's go to Numbers 27, verses 5 through 11, and let's recap that right now. 
Moses brought their cause before the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren. And thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a man die and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. And if he have no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance unto his brethren. And if he have no brethren, then shall you give his inheritance unto his father's brethren. And if his father has no brethren, then you shall give his inheritance unto his kinsman that is next to him of his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be unto the children of Israel a statute of judgment as the Lord commanded Moses. End quote. Now let's flip over to Numbers chapter 36 and go to verse 5 and continue there. And Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, The tribe of the sons of Joseph has said well. This is the thing which the Lord does command concerning the daughters of Zelophead, saying, Let them marry to whom they think best. Only to the family of the tribe of their fathers shall they marry. So shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel remove from tribe to tribe, for every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter that possess an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be wife unto one of the family of the tribe of her father, that the children of Israel may enjoy every man the inheritance of his fathers. Neither shall the inheritance remove from one tribe to another, but every one of the tribes of the children of Israel shall keep himself to his own inheritance, even as the Lord commanded Moses so did the daughters of Zelophead. End quote. All right, now we've just reviewed the laws regarding inheritance. Let's go back briefly in our thoughts and think about David's conquest of the Moabites. If David was a Moabite, consider that these Moabites were taken into servanthood by another Moabite, and they were killed by a fellow Moabite. You see, David cannot be a Moabite. It's woefully unbiblical. Not only is it unbiblical, consider the laws of inheritance that we just read and how discriminate God was in ensuring that the tribes remained within their lands and that their inheritance remained within their tribes so that nobody would be dispossessed of an inheritance. It's very important God's word and his commands and his statutes regarding these laws of inheritance are very important. So if we were to consider that David was a Moabite, I think we'd have to check into his genealogy. And let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 2, and let's read something there that should help us to get a handle on the genealogy. 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 4. We'll begin at 4. And Tamar, his daughter-in-law, bare him Perez and Zerah. All the sons of Judah were five. The sons of Perez, Hezron, and Hamul. And the sons of Zerah, Zimri, and Ethan, and Heman, and Kalkol, and Derah, five of them in all. And the sons of Carmi, Aker, the troubler of Israel, who transgressed in the thing accursed. And the sons of Ethan, Azariah, the sons of Hezron, that were born unto him, Jeheramil, and Ram, Shulabai. And Ram begot 
Ammon, Aminadab, rather, and Aminadab begat Nashon, prince of the children of Judah. And Nashon begat Salma, and Salma begat Boaz. And Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat his firstborn Eliab, and Abinadab the second, and Shema the third, Nethaniel the fourth, Radai the fifth, Ozem the sixth, and David the seventh. End quote. All right, so there you have seven generations. Now, similarly, in the book of Ruth, the fourth chapter, beginning with the 18th verse, you have the generations there also listed. Now, these are the generations of Pharez. Pharez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Amminadab, and Amminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. End quote. So therefore, from Judah to David, the genealogy is Judah, Pharez, Hezron, Ram, Amminadab, Nashon, Salma, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, and David. It spans roughly eight centuries and eleven generations. Also, it appears correct that this nation is the one referred to in Numbers 1, verses 4 to 7, the son of Amminadab. First Chronicles 2 5 records seven generations. In this account in Ruth records six generations. It's possible that we have a generation missing in the record, and it could be the record of Carmi. I found in the Holman's Bible Dictionary that First uh, Chronicles 4.1 indicates that he is of the Reuben line, a son of Judah. But nevertheless, with this genealogy, Ruth is King David's great-grandmother. There is no biblical record which can be gleaned to support a belief of Ruth being a racial Moabite. There are not ten generations between David and Ruth. There are only three. Further, God, through his prophets, tells us what are to become of the people. Isaiah 25.10 conveys, quote, Moab shall be trodden down, even as straw is trodden down for the dunghill, end quote. How was Christ to descend from a trodden down dunghill? What about David? Jeremiah 48, the entire chapter is devoted to God's condemnation on the people of Moab. In Zephaniah 2.9, he says, quote, As I live, says Yahweh, God of Israel, surely Moab shall be as Sodom and the children of Ammon like Gomorrah. End quote. So, once again, there is no biblical record which can be gleaned to support a belief of Ruth being a racial Moabite. Once again, the law of God says, that they shall not enter the congregation of the Lord for ten generations. There are not ten generations between David and Ruth. There are only three. You can readily see why, I think, you have such things as this view being predominated throughout the Christian world as you consider the Antichrist and what they profess in their Talmud. In Kala 1b, 18b, Jesus is Ill- illegitimate and of shameful birth. In Toldath Jeshu, he is born of a prostitute conceived during a menstrual gestation. Now, if you want more on that, 
because I'm not going to go into it in greater detail in this message. I suggest you read the Master of Theology's Reverend I.B. Pernadius's work titled Secret Rabbinical Teachings Concerning Christianity. Now, before we go too much farther, at this point in the message, I think what I'd like to do is have us review an improper understanding of Ruth's words at chapter 1, verse 16. It says, Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. There are a couple of issues associated with them. First, it's used to show her as not Israelite. But once again, translation issues are known. The words shall be are not even in the original transcripts. And Young's Literal and Wycliffe both seem to render it, Thy people is my people, or thy people as my people. What Ruth is actually conveying is her desire. And this is evident in the actual record of her sincere and devoted love to Naomi is her desire to let me be with you, is basically what she's saying. Let me be with you. Your kinsmen are my kinsmen. In other words, your inheritance, my inheritance. Let me be with you. We obey the same God. We serve the same God. When the transcripts are are transcribed as thy gods be your gods and your gods, it's just a transliteration once again that should not be there and is not properly rendered and contextually accurate. And so because of the inaccuracies of this and the textual discrepancies, we've been misled and taught to believe that King David is the progeny of Moabite stock. And it can't even be supported biblically. So in many people's minds, they don't actually even contend that or believe that because There just isn't any time spent on discussing it and clarifying the record. Basically, King David is known as the king of the Israelites, and that's the end of the matter. So again, I say that once you accept the primary teaching of redemption and inheritance within the book of Ruth, it's very easy to understand the concept that Ruth is conveying Your people be my people. And now as we continue on in Ruth and we find out what actually happened with the right of inheritance, it should solidify it in our minds as to why this occurred and why these statements are as innocuous as they are in terms of Ruth desiring to stay under and with Naomi's kinship and be brought into that inheritance under her family line. So now we continue with the story. Naomi and Ruth continue to travel into the Bethlehem region of Judah during the barley harvest. It was honorable, biblical, and customary for the widows and women or their assistants to work the harvest. Ruth gleaned fragments and remnants in the field, being a daughter-in-law to a widow and herself a widow, where she is noticed by Boaz. Find that in 2.4 and 2.10. And Ruth refers to herself in this scripture as a stranger. This is another word that needs to be understood. It is number 05237. It is nokri. It means one, foreign, two, foreigner, three, foreign women, and harlot, four, unknown or unfamiliar. It does not mean of another race or of another people. 
Ruth, at chapter 2, verse 14, is invited to dine with Boaz, this also would have violated Israelite commands of God. Boaz is the kindred of Elimelech. Now, this is further proven when we go to the redemption of the inheritance that is related to us in Ruth chapter 4. And I'll begin with verse 1. Then went Boaz up to the gate, sat him down there, and beheld the kinsman of whom Boaz spake, came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. He said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that has come out of the country of Moab, once again, the word country, okay, very important, the country of Moab, sells a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. End quote. Now, very important things that we find here. In verse 5, Boaz said, What day you buy that field of the hand of Naomi, you must buy it also of Ruth. You see, that's exactly what happened. Is Ruth said, I want to be with you. I want to be under your inheritance, under your kinship, and I am willing to do that. And this right here is, again, an evidence that that's exactly what happened. Because Boaz tells this kinsman, if you buy the field of Naomi, you also are required to buy it also of Ruth. Does this not sound like Ruth and Naomi are one in their inheritance? It sure does to me. And I think for any thinking individual understanding God's commands and statutes and judgments and laws concerning inheritance, it's very important. Now, Naomi, obviously, we're going to skip back again. She was real pleased with the opportunity of Ruth's fellowship with Boaz. She set about a course to accomplish Boaz as a husband for Ruth. Boaz, in compliance with the word of God, set about to determine if a near kinsman would honor her in marriage. Logically, Boaz would not and could not set about to determine a near kinsman if Ruth was a racial Moabite. He would have had to travel into a racial Moabite country and look for a kinsman. This makes no sense at all. For people in the ministry and teachers in the ministry and pastors and preachers to continue to teach this false notion that Ruth was somehow racially Moabite is just bizarre. And in so doing, besides, he would have violated the commands of God. And we can see that Boaz is obviously a very upright, upstanding citizen and Israelite in this land. There is nothing in the biblical record to support that Boaz did any such thing or that any such activity was ever contemplated or occurred. 
Rather, though, it confirms Boaz's Israelite integrity, his knowledge of Israelite marriage law, his understanding of Israelite inheritance law. So Naomi's plan was not to have the near kin take Ruth to wife, but by the recorded words, we see Ruth asking for Boaz to cover her. There in Ruth chapter 3, verse 4 and 9. Let's just go there real quick. Naomi is telling her, And it shall be when he lies down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she, he, she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me I will do. And she went down unto the floor, and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. All right, let's stop there. So you see that Naomi's plan was to have Boaz be the one who would be taking Ruth in marriage. And I would submit to you that Naomi obviously knew that this near kinsman that was nearer than Boaz would not fulfill the law and he would pass on it to his near kinsman, Boaz. So that interest at his feet, or, or that act at his feet, established the interest in Boaz, not the other near kinsman. So Ruth honored and trusted her mother-in-law, and God, through Naomi, set part of the course for the Redeemer of Israel. Spread thy skirt over me simply means perform the duty of near kinsmen. Bring me under thy headship, protection, and inheritance. And Boaz tells her in verse 11, 12, Fear not, I will do to thee all that thou hast requested, for all the people of my city know that thou art a virtuous woman. Now it is true, I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit, there is a near kinsman than I. The biblical record shows and confirms Ruth as Israelite at this elder meeting convened by Boaz with the presence of the near kinsman. The biblical record indicates the near kinsman was willing to redeem the property but declined when he became knowledgeable that Ruth must be redeemed also. As the laws of inheritance would transfer the property upon the birth of a son to this son in the presence of witnesses, in obedience to the command and statutes of God, Boaz was granted the right of redemption of Naomi and Ruth, and ultimately the Redeemer of Israel. Obed, Ruth's first son from Boaz, is the progenitor of the house of David. It is a type of the biblical record of Israel's redemption carried out through the providence of God, a record which has oftentimes been polluted or corrupted to portray Christ, the Redeemer, as being from an impure racial line. Such a perception and preconceived notion or belief is only accomplished by the ignorance of many to the correct biblical record and its attendant geographical history. It's impossible for God to lie. 
David was Ruth's great-grandson, crowned king of Israel, and anointed of God, a type of redeemer, to Israel. The biblical record further shows there was no objection to David as king of Israel, or certainly any objection due to his presumed Moabite lineage. Redemption belongs only to biblical Israel, clearly recorded for us in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. He has visited and redeemed his people. Jacob Israel became the sons of Christ and the right to the inheritance repeatedly conveyed in the parables of Christ for his people Israel, a people destined to form a multitude of nations and a blessing to all the people of the world. Many of the commentaries still hold fast to the belief that Ruth was a racial Moabite. I believe it is not supported scripturally. And now you know the rest of this story. Jesus was not a Moabite by race, and neither was David. I had hoped if the message wouldn't get you, perhaps the title would. This is Doug Nelson, trusting you will hear these words one day. Well done, thou good and faithful servant.